Janina. Hi, Emma. How are you doing? I am good, but what's more important is how you're doing, because you have a book out. I have a book out. Yeah. I'm good. I'm stressed. I just live in my podcast chair now, talking to people, which is good. <laughs> Can't really complain about it as a job, particularly. It's terrifying, yeah. as you know, because mm-hmm, people... Mm-hmm. You write all these words in your house. Yeah. And mostly I write at night in my pajamas in the dark. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of edit them and you don't really... Th- and then all of a sudden they're in people's houses. Yeah. <laughs> and people are reading them and having opinions on them. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's very scary. <laughs> yeah. But then they give you compliments and, and that's nice. It is. That's the nice part. People yeah. tell you that you're funny. You are very funny. I have not finished it yet. I have come to the end of part one. And it is very funny. I sit there on the couch reading it, having a wee chortle, and Jamie just keeps looking over at me being like, good book, is it? I'm like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> a friend of mine who I have known for a couple of years now, I would say, although he's very young, so he might just be foolish. <laughs> he started reading it and then texted me out of the blue going, and bearing in mind again, I've known him for two years, went, oh my God, you're funny. <laughs> Like, wow, that's so mean. <laughs> I'm hilarious in person. <laughs> but yeah, apparently this surprised him. But anyway, yeah, the book is out, or it is out this week, and it is called A History of the Roman Empire in 21 Women, and it is a history of the Roman Empire in 21 women. So we're kind of doing two birds with one stone, which is talking about a thing that's in my book, and also answering some questions that we got for History is Sexy, about the folk hero and mythical or semi-mythical warrior woman, Boudicca, or as she was when I was still growing up, Boudicca, or as she is sometimes called in Wales by people who've imagined things, Wodicca, or all of the other names that she has. And we got two questions about this. Mm -hmm. The first one is from Grace Tiem, who said... How much of Boudicca is a literary construct? Because I think I said that at the end of an episode once. Mm -hmm. And I've also argued it on another podcast. And the second is from Jessica Josh, who has asked how much of the story of Boudicca that we know from the Roman sources is true. Mm -hmm. So this episode is uh, basically what's the deal with Boudicca? Yeah. What's her name? What does she do? Is she real? What What do we know about her? So I have to ask you, as our resident didn't grow up in England person. Yeah. Had you heard of Boudicca? <laughs> yeah, I we had a book when I was a kid or a teen like at some point in my in my childhood slash early adolescence, we had a book of like cool historical women, you know, and there was a really cool Boudicca illustration. She was one of my favourites in the book, I think. I don't know that I'd necessarily internalized a huge amount of her story, but I definitely thought she was very cool and looked very cool. Like she had like foot length, like red hair to her feet, looking all angry yeah. and holding powerful a and yeah, holding a spear, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, because I was I was thinking about this recently that she is somebody that is so core to like English stories about the English. Yeah, and like modern version. And there's a, a big statue of her in London outside Westminster, and. Like she's in all of the books, like about Roman Britain, about Romans, about anything to do with English history. She'll always pop up as like this vitally important character. Yeah. But I wonder like how far, because she's basically embodies this weird idea 
that the English have of ourselves as being like the little guy fighting. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we had this one book, which was presumably an English book that was published in Australia and New Zealand as well. And then also my sister and I got reasonably obsessed at one point with Arthurian legend. So we were kind of more <laughs> focused on like ancient Britain than your average New Zealand child probably is. Yeah. So I don't know how common it is to grow up with with a sort of awareness of her outside yeah. of the UK. But I, I knew who she was. I, I had a vague idea of who she was, definitely. Yeah. So she is the general story of Boudicca for people who don't know if you are from outside the UK. I know in Germany, for example, their version of Boudicca is Arminius, who fought the Romans and won and is a kind of great hero. But if you are from outside of the UK or you've never heard of her or you only vaguely know of her, the kind of general story of Boudicca is that she is a queen of the Iceni. The word that's used a lot of the time is tribe, which is a really misleading term and is a term that comes like from the Romans describing other people and is one that I really hate because they're not a tribe in any way that you would recognize a mm. tribe. Like they're not related particularly. There's no kind of sense of tribal custom or tribal community or anything like that. They're, they're just a, a kind of a group of people. <laughs> who at some point, because of the influence of the Romans, get called the Iceni by the Romans. That's not really something that they seem to call themselves. But she becomes the queen. And the story from one of the sources about her, which is by far the most popular one because it has sex in it, is that her husband died and the Romans decided to take all of Boudicca's inherited land. They would take the land of the Iceni and then when she resisted, they beat her and raped her and her two daughters which was such a terrible violation that it caused her to start a rebellion, which she managed to convince loads of other people, or loads of other communities from Eastern England to join in. So kind of Norfolk and Essex is where they're from, to join in and to rise up against the Romans. And then with Boudicca leading them, they marched on Colchester mm -hmm. and burned Colchester down, then marched on London and burned London down and then marched on St Albans and then were forced into a pitched battle which they lost very badly and then Boudicca dies somewhere off screen but that is the popular version of her story because the other version of her story involves tax collecting <laughs> which is not anyone near as fun <laughs> which is way less like you you can make out of the story of kind of horrible abuse and rape of women. Yeah. You can turn that into a statue of a lady with her tits out. It's a story with just more catharsis built into it, right? There is the, the righteous yeah. anger beyond limit. That seems like the natural response to that sort of that degree of violation. You can't get to that through taxes you <laughs> no. just can't no only through like anti-tax collecting libertarian groups do they get that furious about tax <laughs> yeah yeah so that version of the story comes from a Roman writer called Tacitus, who is very interested in England and Britain as a colony because his extremely beloved father-in-law, who he wrote a whole hagiography of, was the governor of Britannia for mm -hmm. a while and did lots of exciting things and was the person who came closest to invading Ireland. 
And if it hadn't been for another revolt in kind of Yorkshire area, he might have invaded Ireland, but he didn't. So <laughs> Ireland remained free of Roman influence to get on with their lives while the British got nice wine and things. So you can decide for yourself who won that gamble. <laughs> so he's very interested in Britain. And so he puts a lot of effort into describing what's happening in Britain in his other books of history. And Boudicca appears mostly in his annals, in the reign of Nero, and mm -hmm. is a very, very emotive <laughs> story that he tells. Mm. And the other place that Boudicca appears in the Roman sources is in Cassius Dio's history. Cassius Dio is writing about 100, 120 years later, and he uses Tacitus as a source for sure, but he is also has a completely different version of why the rebellion happens. And... Boudicca's role within it. So in Tacitus, she is this kind of raped and abused woman with two daughters. And in Dio, the revolt happens because of a series of events over about a decade, which is far more, to my mind, convincing. <laughs> yeah. Although it's one of those situations where like any rebellion, any revolution, you can zero in on something and call it a cause when what it is is a catalyst, right? Yeah. You can't get a large enough group of people to revolt over one thing. They all have different frustrations that are leading to that. Yeah. That's why, like, for example, when we talked about Russia, like that took half a century yeah. to brew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then one little spark to, to be successful. Yeah. So it's a similar thing, except that the rape does not occur at all <laughs> in Dio. What happens is it starts with the foundation of Colchester, which is the first Roman colonia colony in England. And a colony in kind of official terms is when land is taken by the Roman state and is given as a retirement reward to ex-legionaries. So mm -hmm. what you get when you serve in the army as a legionary is you get promised land to own and farm as your own. When you finish your term, you do 25 years and then you get land at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they did in Colchester. They took this land, which belonged to people, <laughs> and gave it to the legionaries. Mm -hmm. And the people who lived in Colchester called the Trinovantes, that's what the Romans called them. And they had their land, which they cultivated, which they had homesteads on, which they you know, grew grain and had sheep and gave it to Roman legionaries, which is bad enough. But the legionaries apparently, and both of the sources say this, treated the locals, treated the, the people of Essex like absolute dog shit. <laughs> like invaders and colonizers very often do. They yep. treated them as though they were lesser than human and as though they were enslaved rather rather than free people who happened to live nearby. <laughs> and so there's a lot of kind of beatings and a lot of forced labor occurring and a lot of people being kind of randomly abused and killed. Right. A lot of reasons for them all to be very unhappy. A lot of reasons for everyone in the area to be pissed off because they had a field that had nice things in it and now they don't have a field or any nice things and this twat speaking Latin keeps punching them in the face. <laughs> oh, this is a... It's the worst kind of person to be punched in the face by. Yeah, and they're being forced to like build a temple to Claudius. <laughs> <laughs> the worst person to build a temple to. <laughs> Who is now divine. Just stupid. 
So that is happening. Then at the same time, when Claudius dies in 49, the governor of England at the time decides that all of the gifts that Claudius gave to the kind of local leaders, because what Romans do is they give away cash to client kings all the time. They mm-hmm. give them money, they give them presents, they give them gold, and it's a nice way to keep them on board. And it, Rome is in unbelievably rich it doesn't really hurt them Mm. (laughs) and so when claudius had accepted the submission of kings he had given them money and the governor of england decided seemingly unilaterally that actually those gifts were gifts they were loans oh sure classic and he would like them to be paid back immediately and so now all of these peoples particularly in the east of england are being treated like shit and they have a debt that they didn't know they had. Uh It's not a recipe for a content and peaceful population. Yeah. And then the final straw is Seneca, the Stoic philosopher Seneca, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is that as well as being a Stoic philosopher and a shagger, a thing that everybody forgets about him because he was exiled twice for shagging people that he shouldn't be shagging. Neither of whom were his wives and both of whom were princesses. So he's a stoic philosopher, massive shagger. Dio really hates him for no good reason, but accuses him of owning too many tables, which I find very, very funny. (laughs) What's the okay number of tables to own? Like less than 500 tables. He owns like 500 (laughs) He says something like he owns 500. I can't remember what the wood is, but it's like cherry wood, like, you know, some ridiculous wood table that he owns entire. It's like he he says he was a Stoic and he lived according to Stoic principles, but he had so many tables. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason that he could afford all of those tables was that his other business, apart from philosophy, was Lone Shark. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a classic stoic profession. Uh-huh. <laughs> Remember this next time anybody is like toting around a copy of Seneca's letters or a stoic. <laughs> uh, he so when Claudius had invaded, when everything was kind of settling down, what Seneca did was went in and offered people loans so that they could rebuild what had been destroyed by the Roman army because there was a lot of destruction, mm-hmm. as there always is, and so that they could build new things. So, hey, would you like to, you know, you've got to build this temple now, so we'll give you some money so you can afford to buy it. Hey, would you like to borrow some money so that you can, mm-hmm. you know, have, buy some more wine and olive oil that you now have access to? So. He makes enormous loans of millions of sesterces to people all over Britain. And then he decides out of the blue at the same time that all of this other stuff is happening that he wants his loans back immediately plus interest. (laughs) That he needs to recall them all in toto. And he sends like Pinkertons, like Roman Pinkertons <laughs> to Britain to beat the shit out of people that won't pay them back. Oh, they really they really <laughs> were not trying to be popular. No. And this is all kind of comes together at the same time. There's also a thing where the Roman governors just before Claudius died had attempted to disarm everybody in in Britain, had like sent soldiers in because there had been this uprising of Caraticus. He had attempted to take away all of their swords and 
shields and armor and Mm -hmm. weaponry which was hugely offensive as well so he had been going into houses and taking people's stuff away so the atmosphere when claudius died in that kind of year after claudius died in 59 was one where the britons were like look we kind of didn't put up that much of a fight (laughs) and we kind of took your money and we've built your stupid temple and we've dealt with you know we thought we did our best here to to not be problematic and you're just treating us like utter dog shit Mm -hmm. so they've basically impoverished them are treating them horribly and now they've sent pinkertons to impoverish them further and beat them up in front of people and that is what is occurring really in the kind of political background Mm. when Boudicca's husband dies and she inherits the throne of the Iceni and is like, I have had it up to here with the Romans. <laughs> yep. Fair enough, really. Yeah. Whether or not they, you know, within the the atmosphere of what is happening, it doesn't seem unlikely that rapes were occurring mm. as, you know, rape is a, a weapon of war and it is a weapon of oppression. Yeah. And it is a weapon of power uh, and it always has been and you know it still is to this day in places where there is conflict and so the idea that rape was being used as a weapon of domination and power is not would not be that unsurprising yeah but possibly that happens but something and she inherits a throne and people do not treat her with the respect that she feels that she is owed and she kicks off but that is why everybody else joins in basically Mm -hmm. because if it is just one quote-unquote kingdom and it is just one woman that's a hard thing to persuade people that it matters yeah but if everyone is already pissed off and she's just the first who's pissed off enough to start throwing her sword around then she's the first person who sends a letter and says excuse me I've had enough of this and I think that we have enough power that we can fight back against the Romans. Yeah. And so in 60 CE, year after Claudius dies, that is exactly what she does. And she gathers together a huge coalition of people from Eastern Britain and Southern Britain to get together and they march on Colchester and the... Romans are kind of so arrogant and they're also busy fighting the Druids in Wales <laughs> that the governor of Britain, Suetonius, sends 200 people without full arms to defend Colchester. All oh, right. So they're just like, this is just a tiny little thing. Just you trot off and deal with it quickly and it won't. You, you'll barely break a sweat, sort of. Yeah, it's like some natives who gives a shit and... It's Colchester, which at the time is the capital. It is like the administrative and military capital of Britain. And it is the kind of the place where they've got the most stonework. It is absolutely the place where they think that no one can possibly take it, basically. (laughs) But they do. They overwhelm Colchester very quickly and they burned down the temple of Claudius with the Roman soldiers inside of it. (laughs) Sure, yeah, as you do. As you do, exactly. And the fact that they do this is a a real shock to the Romans. The Romans are 
they're not used to people winning against them at all. Like yeah. nobody has won a, a war against them since nine BCE. <laughs> <laughs> they remember that it can happen. Yeah, they had like that's that's two generations since they really lost anything of any significance. They've never lost a town like an actual Roman colony, mm. like ever, <laughs> <laughs> and. Yeah, and it was incidentally, it was uh, Arminius who beat them in 9 BC. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they have this massive defeat. It's quite horrible that it occurs within the city. It's quite horrible that several hundred people are burned to death. Yeah. And it really shocks the Romans to their core. And they then send a legion to try and deal with the situation. And this is the thing that really, really shocks and surprises the Romans, which is that Boudicca's army managed to destroy that legion as Mm -hmm. well or at least very badly hurt that legion which is something that really really has not happened like never happens to fight not just 200 lads with one sword between them (laughs) is a completely different thing to fighting a legion and beating them yeah and, and chasing them off and at that point the romans are like oh shit. Houston, we have a problem. And this is why Boudicca is remembered, like why she is written about when people are writing about Nero's reign, they have to include that this happened because they have to explain how how they lost a legion. Like mm. if it had just been a minor uprising or if, if it had just been a minor scuffle, which happens all the time. Yeah. Like if you read Roman sources, then you're going to have to slog through a billion different people that you never hear of again rising up. Like I've been reading Caesar's Gallic Wars because I'm actually writing something on Roman Britain at the moment. Mm -hmm. And every 20 minutes, like literally every page, a different set of ghouls rebel against him. It's constant. And (laughs) there comes a point about 10 pages in where you're like, what? This system of just beating them up and taking hostages is working very badly because as soon as you look away... Yeah, there's so much follow-up admin just to keep things chill. So much follow-up admin. And he's literally like, oh, I went, like, I had to go back because the people were rising up. I had to go, like, and then over here, I had to go over here. He's constantly travelling about. He's constantly trying to fight people because they are, they've risen up again. And Mm -hmm. you're just like, I feel there must be a better way because this is... (laughs) Like this is this doesn't seem like the most the easiest way to do it. It's not but sustainable. Anyway, it's really not. It's so ridiculous. But anyway, this has to be a big one, is what I'm saying, because otherwise it would be two sentences or they wouldn't bother to mention it. But they just completely obliterate this <laughs> this army. At which point Suetonius really has to take attention this guy Suetonius he really has to pay attention and he has to kind of swivel round from Wales where he's trying to burn druids mm-hmm. and fight them properly but by the time Suetonius comes they have travelled to Londinium which is trading port mm-hmm. it is not particularly big at this time and in fact the burning of it is kind of what makes it important mm. because unlike Colchester which ex- existed as a settlement beforehand. London is entirely Roman. Like, as far as we can tell, hardly anybody was living there beforehand. And as Romans are bringing trade in and people in and are sending enslaved people and trade out, they are coming in and out of London. And so it has. it's a really, really Romanized place. So they burn it to the ground. Sure. 
And apart from the fact that we actually can trust Roman sources more than you would think, <laughs> I know that there is... I'm always saying, like, don't trust a Roman source and you can't trust details, but you can generally trust, you know, they don't make things up. They're not fiction. Yeah. They're not telling you, they're not writing a novelization of Roman history. They are writing what things that actually happened. Yeah. And so she definitely, Boudicca definitely existed because they wouldn't ever make up a woman to defeat them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's, if they were going to make up someone to defeat them, it wouldn't be a woman. Right? It wouldn't. Because that makes them look worse. Yeah. By Roman standards, I mean, obviously, because they're a massively patriarchal society. Yeah, because they're big old misogynists. Yeah. yeah, so they definitely would make a woman. But also because in London, in Colchester, and then also in St Albans, where they march after this, it feels so weird now to be talking about St Albans as like a different place. It's effectively <laughs> it's just it's... North London now. <laughs> yeah. But, but it is technically, and it's quite, you know, it's far away in in walking terms. So St. Albans is a, a place that also previously existed and actually has a very interesting history and in that it seems to have been founded by Belgic Gauls, but they have Latin rites there. Mm-hmm. And so it's a municipality, a Roman city, and they burn the shit out of that as well. Sure. And so they choose three really roman spaces and try to burn them down and the super interesting thing about this to me is that everybody else tries to fight the roman army Mm -hmm. and boudicca does not try to fight the roman army she tries to burn down their colonization right yeah yeah (laughs) so she goes for the spaces where they have built she goes for where civilian romans are living where roman citizens and people who have latin rights and where roman traders are living and tries to obliterate it sure and tacitus writes that he finds this really annoying He's baffled by her because he's like, this isn't what you do. Like, you don't just go and burn down cities unless you've already defeated their army. You're supposed to fight the army. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't do that. He also finds it weird that she kills everybody. Sure. And Dio has all of these horrific descriptions where he tries to make her look as barbarous as possible. One of which is... Might want like some kind of content warning here. Maybe skip ahead like ten seconds if you don't want to know about incredibly detailed misogynist violence. But basically, he claims that she and her men took Roman women mm-hmm. and strung them up and then cut their breasts off and sewed their breasts to their mouths. Oh wow, that is that is brutal. Which is a, both a crazy thing to happen if it happened, and a fucking wild thing to make up if it didn't. Yeah, I don't know which is... I mean, I mean, obviously it's worse if it really happened, but, like, I don't want to meet the person who that's... What the imagination was Who that occurred to. No. Yeah. Like, why would you even think of doing that? I don't know. But, yeah, but so they they kill everybody. Tasta says that 70,000 people die, which is a definite lie, because as a general, you can knock a nor off. Mm-hmm. So... Which is, but there's still several thousand. But he also finds this bananas because he's like, they don't engage in war commerce. Because what you're supposed to do, according to the civilized Romans, is take people as war slaves. Yeah. And prisoners of war can be sold and you can make money out of them. And that is the best thing about war for the Romans, which is that you can take all the people, you can sell all the people, and you can be rich. (laughs) But this is not what they're after. She's it basically as far as like 
both Tacitus and Dio as people who both own hundreds of people as slaves. They're like watching her burn money and they're yeah. <laughs> baffled that she's doing this. <laughs> Genuinely baffled. <laughs> like they makes absolutely no sense to them that she is killing people, but she's not leading an army to continue an empire of domination and she's not trying to fight war according to the rules of war. She is trying to get the Romans to go away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's trying to make England as horrible a place for them to be as she possibly can, trying to kill as many as possible and trying to make them leave or at least to make them stop fucking with her Yeah, and show them that they are worth more than being fucked with. And so she burns three towns down And in each of these towns, there is what archaeologists call the Boudican destruction layer. That's beautiful. Isn't it good? Where you can very literally see the burnt wood and ash and the layers where there have been things smashed and burned Mm -hmm. and where in St. Albans, there's quite a lot of archaeology. There's not that many bodies, but there are a few that have turned up. I think three turned up quite recently in St. Albans and in Colchester of bodies that have clearly died by violence. Mm -hmm. So with big old holes in the back of their heads. Yeah. And... Not as many as you might expect if allegedly 7,000 people died, but... (laughs) (laughs) But a fair enough number. But enough that you're like, oh, okay, these people died in some kind of terrible thing that happened. Yeah. By this point, they've kind of run out of big Roman towns to burn down. There's Mm -hmm. no real other massive towns apart from like near Chichester but even that there's like no big spaces that are clearly Roman and they sort of seem to run out of places to go and so they end up having to fight the army and so they do have to fight several legions Suetonius brings all of his legions and they fight what is called uh, the Battle of Watling Street nobody knows where it is (laughs) there are if you ask 100 people, you'll get 150 different answers. Perfect. Some people have suggested it's near London. Probably not, because she was going in the opposite direction. Some people think it's in the Midlands. There was a book out recently that had a whole nother version of events. Like the, People think it could be literally anywhere. But Watling Street went all the way from London, like right the way up. So mm-hmm. absolutely no idea where it was. But Tacitus very beautifully describes it as a... This is the kind of thing we are like, wow, that sounds really specific, but it's also super vague. <laughs> it's a space where there is a kind of big open area, mm-hmm. but which is hemmed in by kind of hills and forestry on three sides. So you, there's a very narrow entrance to get to it. And then there is forest, he- thick, thick old forests that don't really exist anymore at the back and the Roman army line themselves up on the three kind of fortified sides, Mm -hmm. thus forcing Boudicca's army to come through a very narrow entrance to fight. If she'd been sensible, she probably wouldn't have gone, but possibly she was hyped up by her success. Yeah. And she was just on a rampage. And when you're rampaging, you don't stop to think. You see, this is how it's described now. But when you actually look at Tacitus, it's less rampagey than you think. Okay. <laughs> so there are like lines in Tacitus that make it clear, for example, that she has communicated with people inside of Colchester before she gets there. Mm-hmm. And that the reason that the soldiers all go inside the temple is that they are tricked into going in there by people that she has planted or colluded with inside of Colchester. 
<laughs> to trick the Roman army. So it's not like the Romans want to portray her as this kind of crazy hair all over the show rampaging person yeah because that sounds like oh you can't really blame us for not expecting that yeah and she was clearly easily overwhelmed by the forces of good ordered neat civilization (laughs) but she's not really rampaging she's doing it quite systematically and she is planning yeah and she is engaged in strategizing and like this is how we're going to do it so it's less of a rampage than it seems but possibly she just had tactics that she planned on engaging with that she just couldn't... Like, the Roman army is remembered as a good army for a reason. <laughs> they hadn't <laughs> lost people in big numbers for two generations for a reason. Yeah, so they get this by the Battling of Watling Street. And this is where you get the famous image of her, which is written about in Dio before the battle, going into this final moment where she has this long hair... That is now described always as red, Mm -hmm. but it's described as red in English now because Boudicca was rediscovered as an icon in the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) In Greek, which is what Dio wrote in, he describes her hair as lion colored or golden. So she's actually a strawberry blonde. Okay. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> you can justify like reddish there's a there's a coppery yeah. it's a coppery tone but it's not like <laughs> flaming flaming yeah. locks or anything like that manuscripts of tacitus were rediscovered in the 14th century and then were kind of first translated into english just before the reign of elizabeth I. and then when elizabeth I became queen you can see how the idea of the strong queen with red hair mm. facing up against the continental invaders and winning sort of works very well with Elizabeth I and the Spanish Armada and keeping out the the invaders and kind of virgin queen ideas and so she gets connected very strongly by writers of her time with Queen Elizabeth I and then she becomes a redhead and now everybody thinks that she's a redhead so that's why Mm -hmm. I mean it makes sense (laughs) yeah and so the description of Boudicca in Dio is why she is the most famous pre-English, before England is a thing, mm. heroine. She's, so she's, he describes her as very tall and very menacing and almost masculine because she's so imposing. Her hair is loose, which the Romans consider to be disgusting. Mm-hmm. And long hair that is down is just profoundly barbaric. It's almost as bad as wearing trousers. <laughs> And then she has this cloak. She's got a big talk. She's holding a spear and she has a hair underneath her cloak. And she gives this huge speech about freedom, about preventing the Romans from oppressing them, about, uh, you know, about, her ones are mostly, <laughs> her one is mostly about tax. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. So, so there's the two versions of the speech. There's Dio's one, which is the huge talk, golden hair, brandishing a spear. And then she talks about taxation and the burdens of taxation for like four paragraphs. And she's like, (laughs) before the Romans came, we lived this happy life where we just tended our cattle in the fields and everything was bucolic and we just frolicked around. And now wicked Nero has come and oppressed us and he takes all of our possessions and he, we are basically slaves of tax. And you're like, (laughs) rousing (laughs) and then it's definitely going to get the blood pumping 
<laughs> Again, libertarians would love her. <laughs> In the Tacitus version of speech, you don't really get the description of her, but you get the words that she's more associated with, which is she's on a chariot with her daughters. And then she goes along the line showing people her scars where she was whipped and mm -hmm. talking about how as a woman, I have been violated. And if the Romans are going to violate even me and my daughters, these noble women, then nothing is safe. And if you're a real man, then you have to protect us and re rescue us all from this slavery. So you get this kind of mixed up version. And then in both of them, she says that the Romans are massive cowards. And then she lets her hair out of her cloak. So it's very important that when you imagine her, you imagine that there is an unhappy with its big legs and its big ears. Just bound, bound and about. Yeah, yeah, just going like, Ugh. and then it shoots out of her cloak and that's when the battle starts and they are routed horribly in the battle and chased off and the entire, the numbers given are again ridiculous, like 100,000 of the Britons died and only 400 of the Romans, blah, blah, blah. But basically it is a complete destruction in pitched battle, which is why she didn't do it in the first place. And in some, ver she survives the battle. In Dio's version, she dies of an illness off stage. Mm -hmm. And in Tacitus's version, she takes poison and takes her own life off of the stage, which is kind of compliment to her in his version because Romans considered Romans love a noble suicide. suicide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They love a Roman suicide. And so that's the kind of general story and the different versions of it, which is that she definitely existed. She definitely beat the shit out of the Romans for a while. She burned some stuff down and she freaked them out to a degree that meant that they had to come up with reasons why mm -hmm. this happened and this is why she becomes a a literary construct so when i say she's a literary construct i mean that really in the written sources that we have of her they are making meaning out of things that happened mm -hmm. which is what history is yeah. is telling a story and they are telling both very both telling very moral stories but they have different perspectives so we only have the two Tacitus is the more famous one, apart from the image of her. And Tacitus is, I think, making her into a new Lucretia, which makes sense if you know the story of Lucretia, which yeah. all Romans do, because it is the founding story of the Republic. And the story of Lucretia, in brief, is that she is the most moral woman who ever moraled <laughs> in, in ancient Rome in the reign of the last king, Tarquin the Proud. She weaves instead of drinking wine, which is she, the best you yeah, can do. She's, Given herself injuries, weaving in the dark while weeping over her husband, who is away at war about four hours away. And the story goes that her husband and his cousins, who are the princes, are having an argument about who has the best wife. Mm -hmm. Which is why uh, what I assume all the men I know do when they when I assume that this no is what is Jamie and Connor do when we're not there. Yeah, yeah I assume this is what his lads chat is a hundred percent of the time, just arguing over whose wife is the best. Whose wife, wife is the best? Yeah. yeah, and if it's not, 
why not? Why not? (laughs) Yeah, so they're having this argument and they decide that they're going to find an answer once and for all because they have a very limited definition of best. (laughs) But they're going to sneak back to Rome because war is only a few hours away. So they're going to sneak back to Rome at night and see what their wives are doing while they're away. And they sneak back and two of their wives are having parties and drinking wine, which is kind of the worst thing as far as very conservative Romans are concerned concern that you can do but lucretia is sitting in her atrium surrounded only by her own enslaved handmaidens crying and spinning wool so that she can weave a cloak for her husband when he comes home yeah ideal womanhood just having a cry while you weave the ideal woman is one who doesn't really exist if you're not there (laughs) (laughs) so this it obviously means that Colatinus wins the fight about who has the best wife, but it massively turns on his cousin, who is the son of the king. He's also called Tarquin. And he comes back and another night and rapes Lucretia mm. because he is so aroused by her modesty and her chastity and her good values that he absolutely wants to destroy them so he forcibly destroys them this is all in the book as well should you wish to buy the book and hear more about this you should wish to buy it as well (laughs) this bit isn't funny but uh, there are other bits yeah there are many other bits that don't involve sexual violence and that have (laughs) jokes yeah So she, having been assaulted, calls her husband and her father and a bunch of other men and says, this has happened to me. The king, the prince, the royal family have violated me. They, Your wives are no longer safe. They do not think that anything is sacred. They will force your, you know, there's a whole thing about them using forced labor as well. Mm-hmm. They'll force you to build their sewers and now they will take the chastity and the honor of your wives. And if you were proper men, you wouldn't let them do this. And then she kills herself. She mm-hmm. takes out a knife and kills herself in front of everybody. Which the Romans love because they love a noble suicide. <laughs> Romans love and noble suicide. And then her body is taken by Brutus, who is another cousin who is a whole thing. Her (laughs) body is taken by Brutus, who Claudius compares himself to fairly regularly and is displayed in the centre of Rome. And he points to all of her wounds and says, if our wives aren't safe, if the with noble, modest, chaste, good women are can be violated and can be dishonoured without any consequence, then we are living in a tyranny and we are debased and we are slaves because this is what you do to slaves. And then everybody rises up against the king, they're overthrown and the republic is instituted. Mm. And hopefully you can see what the parallels between Tacitus's <laughs> version of Boudicca is to that. which is that she has an almost identical speech about how she has been violated and the idea is to paint Nero as the decadent, arrogant tyrant Mm. who is destroying the good moral name of Rome and that he should be overthrown, which he eventually was, and should be cast down so that they can build something resembling a republic, which is what Tacitus wants. And so that is his literary construction of what the the meaning of Boudicca and Boudicca's rebellion in his conception of the Roman world, which is that it's all really about Nero. <laughs> right. So it's kind of flipping what the English did with the story during Queen Elizabeth's yes. reign and using her exactly. as a new Lucretia 
in the same way that Elizabeth was being used as a new Boudicca. Yeah. And then she is used as the new Boudicca. And then the next time we get a queen, or not quite the next time we get a queen, because Mary and Anne don't really do anything. But the next time we get an activist queen, shall we say, <laughs> is Victoria. And then you get this deeply, deeply confused and kind of wonderful <laughs> in a horrible way in English storytelling about themselves because Victoria is like the height of empire yeah, or the height of imperialism and she considers herself to be an empress and she considers the British Empire to be a new Roman Empire and to be the one of the greatest civilizing spaces of the world ever to be the greatest thing that has ever occurred. So does she spin an anti-imperialist hero to make her the symbol of the empire? Is this what she's going to yes. do? <laughs> it is exactly what happens. Vicky! And she is... I mean, it, it's not necessarily her, but it's basically what happens, which is that there is poetry around which has been doing this for a little while since the idea of the British Empire has emerged. Mm -hmm. There is always these been these ideas since the 18th century, really, these ideas that the British Empire is the new Roman Empire mm -hmm. and that also Boudicca is a example of how great the British are, therefore they deserve this empire. Right. And so if you know the statue of Boudicca outside Westminster, which was commissioned by Albert for Victoria, but did not go up until after Albert died, but went up during Victoria's reign in 1885. Mm -hmm. It's outside the House of Parliament. It's oh, She's on the chariot. She's got her daughters. There's tits everywhere. The horses are rearing. She's got a spear. She's kind of the image that you imagine her. And then on the side, there is this lines from a Thomas Cowper poem. And it reads, Regions Caesar never knew, thy posterity shall sway. Which means that as a reward for your greatness, you get a whole empire. Cool. Cool and great. Yeah. Fine. Absolutely nonsensical, but don't worry about it. <laughs> it is the kind of nonsensicalness of it is <laughs> what makes it so fascinating because it's like she's such an image of, of anti-imperialism. Yeah. And of like fighting the evil empire. And in all images of her from Latin texts, she is this like powerful anti-Roman person, which makes sense for them to love when British people thought that the Roman Empire was decadent and corrupt. Mm -hmm. But at some point in the 18th century, there is this switch where they start thinking that actually the Roman Empire is great <laughs> and yep. that they are the Roman Empire, but they still like Boudicca. They don't want to get rid of her just because they're now on the side of the imperialists. So makes they it all very kind awkward. Of just what you get is that the empire, their empire isn't bad and corrupt, you see. Mm. Their empire is good. And therefore, their empire must be a reward for how good they are. And so it makes sense that she's an example of how brilliant the British are, or specifically the English. And therefore, we get rewarded by being so great and so brave and so brilliant. And so you get lines. This is another one from the Cowper one that I really like. Then the progeny that springs from the forests of our land, armed with thunder, clad with wings, shall a wider world command. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> yeah. 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 So the Romans, see, they fall because of the rapes and things that they did. Yeah. But Britain but is Britain... great because of the Boudicca. Yeah. So, so the empire is going to be great and will last forever and be perfect and amazing. And rape the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the image that we have of Boudicca as filtered through British imperialism and a specific English exceptionalism mm. is is also a literary construct. Everything is a literary construct, really. Aye, that's the fun of history. Yeah, yeah. Everything that you think that you know is actually complicated. <laughs> <laughs> history is an exercise in storytelling and everyone is telling yeah. the story for a specific reason in a specific context. History is meaning-making yeah. out of... Things that happened. Or, as they say in the History Boys, one fucking thing after another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, none of these will go on T-shirts. One day <laughs> we'll come up with something snappy. It <laughs> <laughs> isn't like it's just a paragraph. <laughs> yeah, we have to get better at sound bites. <laughs> yeah, one day. One day. But yeah, so that's Boudicca. Yeah, well... Thank you for that. I think that answered both questions. Well, hopefully. I, I, hope. never, I never really yeah. look back at the question when we get to the end to check if we answered it. <laughs> <laughs> I try to. I think, all right, so one of them was, how much is true? That one's for Jessica. Mm -hmm. And the answer is, more than you think, not so much as you might think. <laughs> like <laughs> some details. Of some of it is Usually true. dodgy. Yeah. And is she a literary construct? Yes. Yeah. And also, yes. <laughs> Yeah, she, the way we tell her is a literary construct, but that doesn't mean she didn't exist. There is a yeah. whole, like, people argue about whether she existed, and that is also because so there's a guy called Virgil Polydore during the Tudor period, mm -hmm. who is a writer who was not very good at <laughs> history, uh -huh. and who became quite easily confused by basically everything. Um, and relatable. so he split... Mm. <laughs> He's the first person to put Boudicca into English history and he can't quite work out what's going on. So he has her as two people. Okay. Which is where you get the notion of the Welsh Vodakia from okay. that some people are really into because she turns up in Polydor and, and the other is a Vodakia who is from the north and so he kind of has he splits her into two people and can't and thinks that they are two people doing different things which is then spawned a whole myth about the the welsh vodakia who is an entirely imagined person sorry mm. welsh people <laughs> although some people really like the idea of her she it's definitely just boudicca <laughs> <laughs> it's also where the first place that we get the confusion of her name as Bodicea, where if you are in Australia, I learned recently that people still call her Bodicea. And certainly when I was in school, she was still Bodicea. Yeah. And the the kind of widespread correction of her name is one of the things I'm most interested yeah, in what, in the world. But I can't. What, what happened there? Well, see, I can't. One day I will have the time to like trace this properly yeah. and be like, and any time that I've done it, I've not had the time or been able to like really dig down. And it doesn't seem like, as far as I can tell, anybody has written about who corrected this and how it came about. But I like I just think you remember being 16 and I used to run a homework club in the library that my mom worked in in Lansing. Mm -hmm. So like after school, I would go and help 
kids do their homework, basically, before the internet existed, because I'm fucking ancient. Uh, <laughs> and I would help them find the books that they needed and use a library catalogue and use a photocopier. And I distinctly remember helping a kid do a, a school project then, and that was the first time that I'd heard Boudicca mm-hmm. when I was 16. And I was like, huh, okay. But then everybody used it. So yeah. one day I will find the time to do like a proper deep dive into this and find out what I haven't, how it got corrected, yeah. or whether it was just... It was being corrected for a hundred years and that was just the like it, it finally you. filtered down yeah. in the late 90s <laughs> to everybody else. But one day I'll do it. But yeah, so basically he misread Tacitus, the manuscripts of Tacitus mm-hmm. as being B-O-A-D-I-C-E-A instead of B-O-U-D-I-C-C-A. Which is fair because manuscripts are hard to read. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's when she became Boudicca. But yeah, so there you go. That's the story of Boudicca in brief yeah. and how she is real and a literary construct. Well, that was very good. Thank you. I had to do no work Thanks. for this episode and I appreciated it. What a dream. <laughs> <laughs> the next one we have to do a bit of work, but we're kind of, it's kind of related to this one, which I like. And is a, a topic that I think is super interesting and is one that is... The kind of thing that you just never learn about, really. Nobody ever teaches you. Maybe they do in schools these days, but they didn't when I was, which is comes from Asher Chow and Field. Mm-hmm. And the question is, why is the UK united? Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. So we're going to talk about why, for example, I get so annoyed when people say that I live in GB. When I don't, I live in the UK. Yeah. Because it is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland yep. and how that came about and what those things are and who is responsible and my controversial troll takes on <laughs> James the first. Yeah, that's very good. Look forward to that one. The controversial troll take is, yeah. is outstanding. <laughs> yeah. So until next time, Janino, where can people find us? At historyissexy.com. And you can support the show. You can buy merch. You can see the show notes. You can follow us. We have links to uh, the social places that we are. Yes. Well, somebody pointed out that I had on the discord for rex factor that uh, i had not put the instagram on there so i will now so the instagram is history is pod and i will put a link on it (laughs) which i will do today but everything is there you can chat to us you can send us questions you can buy a t-shirt you can support us on ko-fi if you would like to buy us a cup of coffee or if you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee once a month then we enormously appreciate that yeah you can buy my book it's out this week it's called History of the Roman Empire and 21 Women. It's very good. You can buy Janina's book. Yeah. It's out. It's funny. It's great. It's sexy. It's charming. <laughs> it's called Beach Rivals. Yeah. Yeah. And until next time. Bye, Janina. Bye. Bye.